Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have renowned actor, producer, and director, Hosea Chanchez, who many know as Malik Wright on the long-running series, The Game. Coming up, I talked to Hosea about how he went from homeless to Hollywood, why he thinks it's important for black men to have the courage to be vulnerable, and how a day when he went to get a haircut changed the course of his entire life. Up next, Hosea Chanchez. Let's go. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. This week's theme is feel to heal. There's a saying that goes, feelings are like waves. We can't stop them from coming, but we can choose the ones to surf. I talk about growth a lot on this show and healing from your past is a big part of growing into a better human being in all aspects. And I say this, not only as a man, but a black man, the world has a lot of assumptions and expectations that are not always fair to any of us. But in particular, we're expected as men to be tough and push through any feelings of vulnerability, which can be seen as soft or as a weakness. But I'm here to tell you that in order to heal, you need to feel sadness, frustration, and yes, joy. Whatever it is that you have the urge to express, it's okay to let it out. My conversation this week is someone who shows strength and courage through his art and through his emotions. It was actually an honor to share this space with him. Coming up, I talked to Hosea Chanchez about his humble beginnings while focusing on mental health on and off screen is so very important to him and how his faith has carried him through the darkest moments of his journey. Up next, Hosea Chanchez. My next guest is a dynamic actor, producer, and director who stars as the fan favorite Malik Wright in the beloved series, 
The Game, which is currently airing in its second season on Paramount Plus, but there's more. He's also mm. playing a major role in normalizing the conversation around mental health, especially for men, those in the black community, as well as the sports community. It is my honor to welcome the uber talented Hosea Chanchez to the Renaissance <laughs> Man podcast. What up, family? Thank you, my brother. Thank Man, that was one hell of a intro. I appreciate you so much for all that. Thank you. Absolutely. And well deserved. So you're a Montgomery, Alabama native. Yes, also sir. Montgomery, Alabama. Raised in Atlanta, spent a lot of time there. So tell me about your childhood. So as you said, my childhood, I started in Montgomery, Alabama. I was born on a, a Maxwell Air Force Base. And my mom had me around 16, 17 years old. And the short of the long is my grandparents were really the, the pillars in my life. They, they raised me both sets of my grand, grandparents, my mom's mom and my father's father and mother. So in a sense, they are like my parents. Um, and I moved to California when I was about 17, 18 years old, dropped out of school. Uh, and the rest is kind of history from homeless to where I am today. <laughs> I've used this term so many times about my late mother and how much her influence and my grandmother's mm. influence. Those are my bodyguards, my angels on earth. Yes. So what was it like for you as a young man trying to navigate with a teenage mom? Mm. Well, I'll tell you this, man. Uh, my mother has always done the best that she could in my life. I don't have one regret for the way things happen for me and my circumstances. My mom is the hardest working woman I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and she's about four foot nine or somewhere. She's a really tiny woman. Um, but she's one of the most hardworking people and humans I've ever encountered in my life. And she never takes no for an answer. So a lot of my, eth my, my ethics and how I navigate the world without accepting no for answers, it comes from my mom. Now, a lot of who I've become as a, a caring man and a giving man and a loving man um, with God at the center and the forefront of everything that exists in my life come, comes from my grandparents. Um, my grandparents instilled in me what they gave to my parents and my uncles and aunties. Um, so in a sense, me and my mom kind of grew up together because mm -hmm. she was learning about life. As you know, at that age, she was still learning about life uh, when she had me. So uh, I don't have any regrets. And one of the catalysts to who I am today and how I got to Hollywood is because at 17, my grandmother died. Um, and this was my everything. My grandmother passed. So um, that was when I knew I had nothing to lose. And I had another angel on my shoulder to mm -hmm. actually push me out to Hollywood at such a young age. I don't even today, I'm like, how in the hell did you pack up your little Mitsubishi clips with your vacuum and your TV and your clothes and <laughs> drive across country uh, with my cousin at the time who didn't drive a stick shift and my car was a stick shift. And <laughs> literally I have no idea where I got the, the balls, so to speak from. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was because I had my grandmother on my side and I had already lost the worst thing that could have happened to me at that age. So I had nothing to lose. So that's a little bit how I, where I came from and how I got here. No doubt. So you're clearly fearless. 
And you're also someone when you believe that you can try to make something happen, you're not going to just talk about it. You're going to get in your Mitsubishi, use the stick shift, <laughs> drive across the country. So make tell me about that drive. Tell me about the music you were listening to. Tell me about how many times you stopped. Tell me about <laughs> how you navigated once you got to your destination. Wow. So if I'm not mistaken, uh, with my cousin Errol and I, who was like my brother, my aunt, because uh, I, for the first 13 years of my life, I was an only child. Um, when I was 13, my mom had my younger brother. And then uh, when I was 12, I'm sorry, my father had my other younger brother. So I was a big brother. But for the most of my young life, I'd grown up uh, under my cousin's wings, all of them, every last one of them. Um, and so my cousin Errol, he didn't drive a stick shift and he uh, was determined to go with me. Thank God he did, because after we got to California, it was a whole nother life than we envisioned. But uh, I would listen. I would get us on the freeway because he couldn't go up on ramps because <laughs> he couldn't drive a stick. I would get us on the freeway, Jalen. And once I got us on the freeway, we would do a body switch. I would cross <laughs> under, he would go over. And you talk about wow. a Mitsubishi Eclipse, man. So, you know, it's a tiny car. Wow. <laughs> so I would get it in the fifth gear and he could take it from there. And most of our drive, as you know, you know, most of our drive is just endless freeway. Texas was, if I'm not mistaken, the biggest part of our drive. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was a diehard Biggie, Tupac, and Snoop Dogg fan. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so, and boys to men and Brandy out of all people in the world, the irony that Brandy and I will become some of the best friends in the world. Um, and Brandy, like those were the four things that I know the four albums that we listened to consistently boys to men, Brandy, um, Snoop, uh, Dre always and Biggie and Tupac. <laughs> so that was the playlist. <laughs> so that's your definite all time playlist. And it clearly meant, the world to you because at some point you made it to California. Mm -hmm. Now I know when you got to California, you didn't have no apartment waiting on you. Listen, I was supposed to stay with a relative and I have to be a hundred percent honest and authentic to my story. I was supposed to stay with one of my relatives and that fell through. And she told me in Texas that mm. I couldn't stay. I couldn't stay with her. I'll, I'll keep the reason, you know, to myself. She but didn't believe you was coming first and foremost. She did not believe I was coming. <laughs> However, I was determined to get here. And so once I got here, she had set me up with a friend of hers who I could stay with for a couple of weeks. Well, you know, hey, just as, as life always throws you a curveball, and, and especially anytime when you're on, you're on your track and on your destiny and you're aiming towards the goal that God has, you and the plans you and God have. There's going to be some curveballs. So um, the place that I was supposed to stay at, I ended up staying one night with this with this young lady. And I had no idea that she was on drugs and was dating her drug dealer. Oh. Well, <laughs> well, the first night my cousin Errol and I had gotten to California, which we were out in Riverside. And all I thought about was I just needed to be in California to be an actor. I thought I was in Hollywood. I thought it was all the same. You know, I thought it was just one place. Well, I was in Riverside, damn it. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so her that night after we had gotten all of our stuff in uh, the house, I'm sorry, it was the second night this happened, I'm about to tell you. 
So we got all our stuff, my stuff out of the car, unpacked all my things. And my cousin was supposed to leave maybe three days after on a, uh, on a uh, Greyhound bus back home. And so we got all, our, all all of my stuff in our house to keep it safe and everything. And we got it in the house. And the next day, the drug dealer boyfriend um, kicked the door down, stole all my stuff. No, And I mean, everything but the vacuum cleaner, the dirt devil, the red dirt devil <laughs> vacuum cleaner. He stole all of my stuff and forbid me to come back to the house. I had no idea she was on drugs. Um, and the rest of the cash that I had, I think I had about 1200 bucks. She stole, luckily I'd hidden, um, I think I'd hidden 700 bucks and kept 500 with me for whatever reason. And so she stole that money. He stole all my stuff. And so I ended up homeless and having to stay in my car, um, for, yeah, man, in the Walmart parking lot in Riverside up under the light so I could be seen. And the security guard who did the rounds watched me. What we have to talk more about this. Yeah. So you in Riverside, California, living in your car underneath a Walmart, using mm -hmm. the light as security. 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 Mm -hmm. That's right. Talk to me about those days. And the, I don't mean to get too graphic, but how were you going about eating? How were you going about using the bathroom? Like, what were your days like? So there was a, I think it was a YMCA or something similar to a YMCA in, out in Riverside. I was showered there um, and I, it's crazy getting emotional about this story, but I was showered there and, um, and then I would eat as minimal as I possibly could so I wouldn't have to use the bathroom, go into the store, use the bathroom. Because at that time, they weren't allowing you to just use the bathroom. And I, I still don't think they do, but you had to buy something. So I wasn't going to buy something every time I needed to pee and poop. So <laughs> um, I would eat uh, at this place called Checkers that would give you two burgers for a dollar. And that would stretch me out um, for like breakfast and dinner. And then Taco Bell, just fast food, you know, specials, anywhere I could get a special for a dollar. Uh, and then I discovered this place called Jack in the Box, which we didn't have in the South. So uh, I'd eat like two tacos or something like that for a dollar. So anything, anywhere I could stretch my money out. Yeah. And eventually I found a, a, a church that I wanted to go to that, you know, because I was, well, I was lying to my family, first of all, telling them that I had a place to live. Because I knew my mom was going to be like, get your ass in your car and bring your ass back home. Oh, so I'm coming out there to get you. They never would have let me stay had I not let them know or I, had I had they known that I didn't have a place to live. And so I, went, I kept that act up for a while. I think even, uh, you know, my my relatives that I was supposed to stay with here, somehow it was a secret to my mom for a long time. And so I ended up finding uh, a family that took me in and allowed me to stay with them. Wow. And this is like maybe a month later. Um, or maybe a little bit more. Actually, my cousin thinks it was more than that. But I, you know, sometimes with trauma in your life, you can collapse time or you can forget those things. So, yeah, that was really my daily life. I'd shower at a thing like a, it was like a YMCA. Um, and then I would eat, you know, the cheapest food I possibly could. And then I would go look for jobs. The first job that I got here, uh, my uncle that lived out here at the time, he was a car salesman. So, I was like, let me try my hand at being a car salesman. 
because uh, I knew I could possibly make a lot of money. And I felt like I was a pretty good salesman because I had had a lot of jobs in my life up until that point mm-hmm. back home in Alabama. So, yeah, that's kind of how that portion of the story went. And at some point, there was a human being that helped change your life. Mm-hmm. Can you give me the moment where you were living in your car, but you felt my goal to be an actor and an entertainer can actually happen because this took place? So there is one pivotal moment that I've never, I don't think I've ever discussed this with anybody. So there's one pivotal moment that happened to me. And that was the day I went to get a haircut. I went into this barbershop to get my haircut. Uh, for a job interview that I had like that Monday. I went on a Friday. And in that barbershop was a man who literally held my hand and changed the trajectory of my entire life. And his name is Jerome. And mm-hmm. I was in the Inland Empire. Um, and I walked into this barbershop and Jerome was a man who had taken in. I mean, he was an angel. He is an angel because he ain't gone. Jerome is an angel. And this man single-handedly took me under his wing. He, wow. at that time, was a foster parent to other people. So he, he, he could sniff the, all of the living in my car and the, all mm-hmm. the, the shit that I was trying to hide and walk into and you know, make people think, because uh-huh. nobody wants to walk around with being homeless on okay. their shoulders. No he knew it. Somehow he knew it. I know now that that was the grace of God is the reason why he knew it. But he knew that... I didn't have a place to live because he kept drilling me about specific questions. Lo and behold, this man had ties to Hollywood and he was a part of the reason why I was able to get to where I needed to be. Um, Because Jerome uh, took me under his wing, allowed me to have a place to live. He invited me into his home and into his church home and into his family. And because of that, I am where I am today. Incredible. And you were 24 years of age. Now, this is after dropping out of school, living in your mm-hmm. car. Now you're 24 years of age and you land the role of Malik. What was it man, like oh man. getting the call for this role? And when did you realize that the show was going to be special? I didn't realize that it was going to be special because honestly, um, the story about Malik, it, I did not audition for Malik initially. I auditioned for Derwin. Mm. And it was at the time where UPN and the WB were collapsing into this thing that we know today called the CW. So I'd auditioned on UPN and WB for Derwin. And in the time, I think I'd auditioned and tested. And it was about maybe six weeks. It was the longest process. And I had tested for shows and stuff before. And I had um, at that time, had been semi-successful. I'm saying semi to be light, but I got to give God his due. I was really successful in. Um, uh oh, sorry. I was really successful in commercials at that time, and so um, I was going in the rat. I was in the rat race with Derwin Heavy, mm. and I didn't get that part. And then I tested again once the CW, it was about three weeks of a changeover, maybe four, somewhere in there, a changeover from UPN and WB uh, becoming the CW. And they wanted our show. And uh, Mara and Celine brought me back in. They wanted to see me. The casting director called and said, well, the producers want to see you for another role. 
because you didn't get that role, they still think that you're perfect for this one. They had cast Wendy. Wendy was the very first person cast on the show. As a matter of fact, the role of Tasha Matt was actually written for Wendy. And so they were looking for somebody who not only resembled Wendy, but who could handle this character opposite her. And so I turned it down the first time. I was like, I ain't gonna do that. I'm too, I was too sore and too, you know, raw from the audition of uh, Derwin and disappointed from going from, you know, network to net. And I was the only person that had traveled um, in testing from, you know, UPNWB, CW. So I was like, I'm getting this job. I just knew that that, that role was mine. But instead it went to a, uh, this phenomenal actor called, his name is Aldous Hodge. And um, which is before Pooch. And so Aldis had gotten it. And Aldis and I had been, Aldis, me and Pooch, actually, we'd known each other heavily, heavily on the, uh, on the commercial circuit. And so I was really happy for him, but I knew it wasn't something that I really wanted to go back through. And so the casting director called me, Suzanne Goddard-Smythe, and she said, the producers really want to see for this role. They called me twice. I turned it down the first time. And then I prayed about it. I was like, God, you know, is this something I should do? And literally it was like a voice came down from the sky it was like you don't get to determine when you quit <laughs> i do that <laughs> and get your ass up because if you never go down to the lobby at a hotel you got to meet god somewhere so i had to do the work in order to you know for something to 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 happen in my life and in my career so i dusted my emotions off dusted my my hurt feelings off and disappointment more than anything and went and landed the role of malik 